We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Today's episode is also presented by BetOnline.ag and new sponsor Deal Dash. Stay tuned for the ads for a promo code for Deal Dash. We have reached the end of July, which means it is time for a non-sports movie episode now picked by the Big Screen Sports Facebook group every month. And this month is My Cousin Vinny. It's back-to-back months with a perfect movie as a non-sports pick. Last month, as you'll remember, it was Swingers. Uh, my cousin Vinny is just, it's just the damn best, folks. And uh, today we got a great guest, my buddy Dave Ruff, returning to Big Screen Sports. Dave is part of the group over at Wash Media, putting out great podcasts. He's been great on this podcast. Did Mighty Ducks? Did Miracle? And he is actually a real life lawyer. Got a got an expert in for this one. Uh, perfect guest. Uh, so everyone, you know, go check out Dave's stuff if you haven't yet. Hope everyone enjoys this episode. Us talking, my cousin Vinny. A movie both of us love, really enjoyed it. Uh, I want to shout out another five-star listener review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, L underscore Beanio, for uh, saying to hang this pod from the rafters. I appreciate that. appreciate all the five-star ratings and reviews of late. Y'all have been kicking ass with that. I really appreciate it. If you haven't yet, head over to Apple Podcasts. You know, five-star rating and review, those help soothe my very fragile ego, help boost this podcast. You guys know the drill. Also, go join the Big Screen Sports Facebook group to pick future non-sports movie episodes. Still have an active poll-up in the group about next month, but it looks like uh, looks like Eurotrip is going to pull ahead and win that one, which I'm pretty excited for. Uh, and then um, follow the pod on Twitter at Big underscore Screen Sport or my personal Twitter at Kyle Banduho for future episode info, sports movie content. You know the drill. Uh, next week, we're talking to best-selling author and baseball writer Ryan Spader about why he hates baseball movies. It's kind of a rapid fire. We talk about pretty much every every relevant baseball movie you can think of. 
Uh, fun episode, but for now, let's talk My Cousin Vinny with Dave Ruff. All right, joining me for today's episode of Big Screen Sports, he is the co-host of Circling Back from Wash Media, returning to Big Screen Sports. It's Dave Ruff, Crime Dog. How you doing, man? Hadn't heard that name in years. That's Crime since the Dog. PGP days. Man, how are you, young Kyle? I'm I'm excellent. I'm uh, I'm very happy to have you back on the pod. You've been on for for Miracle. You've been on for Mighty Ducks. We go way back, back to uh, the the website Postgrad Problems, uh, R.I.P. But before we get into today's episode, our non sports movie of the month, Dave, what's going on at Wash Media? Uh, you guys have recently dropped a new podcast, and you also have have circling back going with something pretty movie related. What have you guys been up to? Uh, well, thank you for asking, Kyle. Actually, we just, uh, so over at Washed, we've got a few podcasts. Circling Back is the one that I helped start with Will DeFreeze and Dylan Shivery. And um, we've also got So Many Screens with J.R. Hickey and Kate. I believe it's pronounced Patnod. At least that's how I've been saying it behind her back. Uh, and it is basically, I do the same. Uh, that's how I okay, pronounce good. it as well. Good. It's a pop culture podcast that... If it's on a screen, they talk about it, you know. They get into the weeds on stuff. It's really good. Check it out. Um, geez, what else is going on? we got a sports one launching soon that we haven't named because I, I just get super neurotic when it comes to naming podcasts, so it's my fault. But look for that at the end of the month. And You guys man, have I, been doing a, uh, a stream room, called calling it the yeah. stream room, on your Patreon, uh, talking, talking movies. Yeah, so we're just doing... We have a, a Patreon tier that's uh, optimized. We drop a podcast on there Tuesdays, and we just kind of pick a movie. It can be any genre. It's generally a 90s movie, nostalgia, but we're kind of mixing it up. Like, uh, we just did, uh, what did we do today, Kyle? I can't even you remember. Did, uh, you did Jerry Maguire, and when you say Jerry today, Maguire. that is today that we are recording this, not the day this episode is coming out, so about two weeks <laughs> About two weeks ago, Dave, you did Jerry Maguire, and it was a, it was a wonderful listen. It was lovely. Did you listen? I, I really enjoyed that movie. Had you seen yeah, it? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, we actually, uh, I mean, if, I, if I'm going to do a self-plug, I uh, did that during Oscar month in February with uh, Julie DeCaro, now from Reincarnated Deadspin. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's wonderful. The shocking thing was that your co-host, Will DeFreeze, had never seen it because he is the most... Jerry Maguire, like th that movie is put on a tee for him. He's the rom commiest of the three of us. Without a doubt. But yeah, I dude, I, I was going to ask you if you had done that movie because I guess I was like, well, oh yeah, there's a sports tie-in. Not that you're sticking to sports, which I appreciate. But yeah, we got, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good movie. I've seen it many times and it, it holds up. So yeah, we have fun over there. Check it out if you're interested. If you think I... If you think I bring the juice tonight, check us out at Circling Back Podcast and Washed Media. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obviously a big fan of what you guys do, rooting for you guys very hard. But Dave, you are a great guest for this podcast, our non-sports movie of the month, because not only are you a great podcaster, a, a great fan of movies, but you're a man of the law. You are an actual real-life lawyer. And today we are doing My Cousin Vinny. A funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! 
Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bed. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. We need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. The 1992 comedy, when sweet northern college kids Bill and his buddy Stan are picked up and thrown into the slammer in a hick southern town, at first it looks like no big deal. <laughs> then they are informed that they are incu- accused of murder. Penniless and without a single friend in the area, Bill decides to call his goofy cousin Vinny, who has somehow recently become a lawyer. It starred Joe Pesci, Ralph Macchio, Fred Gwynn, and featured an Oscar-winning performance from Marissa Tomei. It's directed by Jonathan Lynn, who also has a law degree. We'll, we'll get into that. It was written by Dale Lawner, got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, Gross $64 million. It is one of my favorite movies. It is when it is on cable. I always turn it on. Dave, right off the bat for you, is this a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer movie? It's Hall of Fame for me. This is this is HOF all the way first ballot. I grew up watching this movie. Probably had something to do with me uh, pursuing the legal career. Um, and on that note, Kyle, I prefer Esquire, not Lawyer. Thanks. DC um, Rough Esquire. Yeah, or ESQ for short if you want. Whatever's easiest for you. It's your podcast. But uh, yeah, dude, I, I love this movie. So it is Hall of Fame, no doubt. And it is apparently uh, something we'll get into with the IMDb stuff. It is apparently very uh, very well respected by the law community. Um, also just very respected by the film watching community. This one, is yeah, it, it's a Hall of Famer. It is... Like, like I said, anytime it's on cable, whenever it gets a run, I always turn it on. There's a bunch of scenes that I'm always waiting for. It is, um, you know, besides the one, the great scene that we're going to talk about that everyone has to wait for at the end of the movie, you don't think as much of like great scenes as you do great bits, great recurring gags, Vinny and Mona Lisa adjusting to life in the South with the food, Vinny learning how to be a lawyer on the fly. You know, it is just, this movie is perfect. Much like last month's non-sports movie, Swingers, is, in my opinion, perfect. This is a, this is a perfect movie. And it catches, it catches Joe Pesci at a really, like, just on a hell of a run. In a three-year run, he does Goodfellas, which he wins an Oscar for, uh, Home Alone, JFK, where he's, he's really going for it in JFK, and this movie in a three-year run. What is your, Dave, for you, what's your favorite Pesci performance? Because after this, it, it's kind of like middling stuff. He does Home Alone 2. He he retires from acting at a certain point. He um, he was great in The Irishman. I don't know if you did the the three-hour watch recently when that dropped oh, on I Netflix. Did. Oh, yeah, I did. He, he, he's my favorite part of The Irishman. But, do, you know, he, oh, he's also in Casino. I can't can't forget Casino. What is your favorite Pesci? Man, when I saw this question on the rundown, I I really had to think about it. There's so much great Pesci. I love that he retired and basically just hung out at a country club for like 20 years and then did The Irishman because that's all he does, I think, is play golf. Um, Which sounds awesome. It sounds great. Shout out to him. I'm following in his footsteps, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but my favorite Pesci movie, this is controversial. I love Pesci and Casino. Pesci and Casino is is excellent. He's great in good, and you know what? He's just as good in Goodfellas. I just, for some reason, maybe it's because I've seen Goodfellas so many times, I kind of prefer Casino, but I really like his performance in that. He's just like a next level scumbag. 
Um, just like much more than your, your run of the mill psychopath. Like he is in Goodfellas. Uh, but he was great in the Irishman. I think you just said he was the best part of that movie. And I completely agree. Yeah. I, I thought, I really thought that he would have like, when I saw the Irishman, I thought that he would get that kind of run for best supporting actor. You know, they, they always give it to an old guy. I feel like if he hadn't, if he hadn't won for Goodfellas, like back in the day, like if he, if Joe Pesci was still hanging out Oscarless. They would they would have given him a uh, more of a look, more of a chance to take home that Oscar for the Irishman. Um, one of my favorite Pesci performances, and I say this in jest because I just heard about it this when we were uh, when I when I was researching this movie. Did you know that he released an album called Vincent Laguardia Gambini sings just for you? Uh, I knew a little bit about this. I have not dabbled though. Did you give it a listen? You know what? Honestly, no. Um, the first song on the, the first song on the album is called "Yo Cousin Vinny." The second one is called "Wise Guy." The third one is called "Take Your Love and Shove It." Oh, that's a nod to uh, "Take This Job and Shove It." Love yeah, it. yeah. I mean, uh, Pesci has history with Jersey Boys, with the like the Jersey Boys. Like he was in, he's featured in that musical and with um, with that group. So. Uh, with Frankie Valley in the four seasons. So he, he's got the chops, um, but he's, he's great. I, I really, I truly don't know my favorite Pesci. It's hard to pick. Like I, I, I'm going to say it's this. I, I, I most recently watched my cousin Vinny. So I, I'm like leaning my cousin Vinny. He's perfect in my cousin Vinny. We're going to get into the IMDb trivia right now. There's a couple casting things that make me more think that, that this is Pesci's best performance because, a lot of times when you get like casting trivia, you think that someone, you know, you hear a name and it's like, oh, this movie could be just as good with that person or, you know, close to as good. And it's just not even close. But as far as the IMDb trivia, um, director Jonathan Lynn actually has a law degree and insisted the film's legal proceedings be realistic. In fact, many attorneys and law professors praise the film for its accurate depiction of trial strategy and courtroom procedure especially with regards to presenting expert witnesses at trial. Dave, did you, did any professor reference this movie in law school ever? Yes. I believe in my uh, legal ethics course that they make you take. I believe it was referenced. Um, they did, a, you know, that class is kind of a blow off class as far as law school goes. So they'll, they'll, they'll bring up some clips or kind of, you know, name some movies and be like, Hey, remember this? Like, you know, was this ethical situation? They'll, they'll, you know, they'll just kind of bring in some pop culture references. But I think everybody in the legal community, like you said, thinks pretty fondly of this movie. Yeah, I had a listener reach out and I am a, a bad host because I did not write down their name. But they said that uh, they had a law professor who actually wrote a paper on, on Vinny, on, like things you can learn from from Vinny, uh, the American Bar Association's publication, the ABA Journal, which I assume, Dave, you're a you, you read weekly or monthly whenever it comes out. I assume that's big for you. I actually um, do their podcast. <laughs> uh, it ranked the film number three on its list of the twenty five greatest legal movies. Like you think, you think of of law as like such a no offense, Dave, like a very stuffy profession. Uh, in the because sense it like, is. Yeah, an intense profession. And like a movie called My Cousin Vinny is number three on 25 greatest legal movies. What Do you, do you remember what number one was? I'm curious. I don't. I'm wondering. I, so it was only on... The only thing on the trivia was just that it is number three. Um, let's do a Google real quick. 
Yeah, sorry. I was just <laughs> you got me wondering. Think because like this one is so. This one is. It does such a great job of depicting, um, like small town, a small town courtroom. I I used to practice in a small town, or actually I shouldn't say I practiced. Yeah, I guess I kind of did. Um, I practiced. I interned in Kaufman, Texas, and uh, that's a little town outside of Dallas, but very small. And then I also I practiced in Waxahachie, home of the Indians. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, very very good. You know, very big on procedure. And uh, they definitely know when someone's an outsider, and they're very skeptical, and that's all real. So the number one greatest legal movie, according to the American Bar Association, is To Kill a Mockingbird, which uh, okay. came out in 1962. I've admittedly, I've never seen To Kill a Mockingbird, actually. Uh, I have seen the number two film on the list. It is 12 Angry Men, which, even though it came out in 1957, is in full black and white, starred Henry Fonda, it is still very, very good. Um, yeah, I that's would, icon- those are two iconics. That does not shock me. Yeah, I would uh, I would highly recommend anyone check out uh, Twelve Angry Men. I can I can uh, definitely recommend that one. Um, moving on with the IMDb trivia, the misunderstanding between Vincent Gambini and Judge Holler re- regarding the two Utes was in fact a real conversation between Joe Pesci and director Jonathan Lynn. Lynn, who is British. At first, had a hard time understanding Pesci's pronounced New Jersey accent. It is, it is very fun to read trivia like that, where it is something that makes it's like a, a random thing that makes its way into the film, and then it's an iconic part of the film. So, would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible to two youths? Uh, uh, to what? What was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. That is uh, that is oft quoted. Many people, my dad included, love quoting that line. And I, I can't, if I ever see that word, I think of it and I will probably say utes. I will be doing a bad impression of that here in um, five to ten minutes. So just just uh, stay tuned. For, stay tuned for that. Um, on the Dan Levitard radio show, here's some uh, some some acting stuff. Some some potential other noms. Actor Jim Belushi admitted that he regretted that he turned down the title role in this film. Dave, I, I pose this question to you: How much worse is this film if Jim Belushi is playing Vinny? Um. I honestly don't believe that's real. That's shocking that he was even offered this role. This role is so perfect for Joe Pesci. He's just got the little man syndrome, just tough guy. No, oh, dude, Jim Belushi. That dude, it's a different movie, and they couldn't. They oh no no no. I can't picture him with Marissa Tomei. No way. Yeah, I I like. I really wonder if that's something where Belushi's just kind of shooting the shit and been like, man, no one's gonna call me on this. Um, two other two other guys considered for the role of Vincent Gambini, Danny DeVito and John Lovitz. I love John Lovitz. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think this movie is as good as it is with anyone except Joe Pesci, especially because of what Joe Pesci is coming off of, which is Goodfellas. Uh, and I, I don't I don't see this movie you know hitting the heights. I don't see it being a Hall of Famer without him. DeVito and Lovitz, it's probably a little different of a movie. I feel like they could both do it in some sense. Yeah. Um, 
here's the thing and why Pesci's perfect for it. Like you said, he's coming off of Goodfellas. He's got that swag. He's he's so believable in kind of just the the New York. You know, maybe he's not a mobster in this, but you know he knows he's got some mob affiliations. Like he's got a buddy who's you know dabbles. He knows some guys. Yeah, he's street smart is probably a good way to put it. Um, so yeah, Pesci's perfect. Lovitz, I don't. It's hard for me to take Lovitz seriously. I always picture him as like the. Uh, the rival wedding singer in the in the wedding singer, uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito maybe, but I I I have trouble like disassociating him from Always Sunny. Yeah, the last IMDb IMDb thing I've got, and there's a ton of IMDb trivia on this movie for anyone wanting to go see, but I just kind of pulled some interesting one. It's another casting thing. Lorraine Bracco was the first choice for the role of Mona Lisa Vito, but declined the role. You might know her as Karen from Goodfellas and Dr. Melfi from The Sopranos. Dave, you are, you're a Sopranos guy, if I remember correctly. Hey, more like Dr. Milfi. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I do know what you mean, David. And uh, yeah, no, we're, uh, we're actually, I'm a first-time Sopranos watcher right now. We just started season four. It was a long been a pop culture black hole for me. It was very cool to see Lorraine Bracco in there. I did. I didn't realize she was in The Sopranos. She is, she's iconic as uh, as Ray Liotta's wife in Goodfellas. Um, I, I will say my cousin Vinny is not as good without Marissa Tomei because, as we will get into, Marissa Tomei is a, is a fucking first ballot Hall of Famer in this movie. Uh, I I can't say enough good things about her. It. I mean, I tried to. I I take pretty copious notes for this podcast. And I, I was trying to just type out how I feel about this this Tomei performance, and it is just, it's it's nearly too good for words. It is fantastic. I tweeted from the uh, from the big screen sports Insta- or, uh, Twitter account that is big at big underscore screen sport for anyone wondering, uh, saying that if they don't have the Oscars in uh, 2021, they should just give Marissa Tomei all the Oscars because she's she's fantastic. Did she she won for this right? She did. She did. So there's a there's a bit of IMDb trivia. I didn't I didn't copy it down. It's basically there's a rumor that the the presenter who was old, kind of like Warren Beatty was old when he made the La La Land Moonlight mix up. Um, there there's a rumor that like our like an urban legend that he read the wrong name for Tomei. And I'm I'm not going to give any credence to that rumor. Um, one because it has been people have said that it is false. I didn't see any of the other performances. Uh, any of the other movies of, of the actresses nominated, but I don't see how she couldn't have won the Oscars. Just the best fucking performance ever. She's an Oscar winner in my book either way. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we're going to get into more Marissa Tomei talk. Um, let's roll into best scene. I am trying to be more selective after last month's non-sports movie where I pretty much picked every scene in the movie in, uh, in Swingers. All right. First scene up. Uh, Vinny's intro in, in prison with Stan. It is a, uh, he's got some great quotes. He talks about the, the simple in and out procedure. It's either me or them and you're getting fucked one way or the other. The prison rape joke has been done a million times in a million movies. Most of the time it's really heavy handed or just like comes off super tasteless. This one is, is perfect. It's, I, it's just probably like, it makes me laugh. I've seen it a million times. It makes me laugh every time. What's wrong with you? I don't want to do this. But I understand, but, you know, what are your alternatives? My alternatives? Yeah. To what? To you? I don't know. Suicide? Death? Look, it's either me or them. You're getting fucked one way or the other. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. 
Lighten up, okay? Don't worry, I'm gonna help you. <sighs> Gee, thanks. Excuse me, but I think a modicum of gratitude would not be out of line here. You think I should be grateful? Yeah. I mean, it's your ass, not mine. I think you should be grateful. I think you should be down on your fucking knees. It is truly the most tasteful prison rape joke, Kyle. I will say. It, it, absolutely. I completely we can crown I, that? <laughs> I forgot about it. Um, just because I feel like the last five times I've watched this movie, it's been on like TNT or something, and I turn it on about two-thirds of the way. But yeah, that was a that was a good scene. Well acted. Stan uh, Stan really sold it. I'll, I'll get into this later, but the the lack of a a big time career for this after this for Stan is really uh, really disappointing to me. The next one I've got, and again, I, I am trying to be more selective, so I'm, I'm passing up a lot of stuff. So if I miss one of your favorites, by all means, holler. The first courtroom scene. Uh, it's, I, I don't know the actual courtroom term, but it's the first time he's in the court and the judge just completely like dresses down Vinny and just some excellent baritone Southern tells Vinny how to dress, how to act, ends up sending him to jail for the first time. It is a, a wonderful introduction to the judge Vinny relationship that is going to be a, a driving force in this movie. Yes. Um, you know, Vinny's basic, um, fundamental misunderstandings or lack of knowledge of the basic courtroom procedures. I feel like uh, anybody who's seen like two episodes of Law and Order could have done a better job. A simple not guilty plea would have sufficed, as he would find out. But yeah, that was uh, that ended up being a great scene because that dynamic is so perfect, and it's probably the hot. Well, I won't say it's the highlight of the movie, but it's just one of many really, really good things about it. Yeah, the the great thing about this movie and the reason that I think the the American the ABA Journal ranked at number three on the list of twenty five greatest legal movies is that all the courtroom scenes are really really good. They're really fun to watch, which is why the 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 next scene I have up is the first day of trial where Vinny shows up in the uh, the outrageous shirt. The first day of the actual trial. It's the first time. It's the the opening arguments where he gets the everything that guy said is bullshit. Uh, stands, <laughs> stands. Public defender does the stuttering, but then Vinny gets into the witness about the grits, which is just excellent work. It's a flawless scene, flawless interrogate interrogation, and I I now love saying uh, no self respectant Southerner uses instant grits is my my favorite. Uh, do you remember what you had? Eggs and grits. Eggs and grits. I like grits too. How do you cook your grits? You like them regular, creamy, or al dente? Just regular, I guess. Regular. Instant grits? No self-respecting Southerner uses instant grits. I take pride in my grits. So, Mr. Tipton, how could it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the entire grit-eating world 20 minutes? That was really good. I love it. Are you? A you grits also guy? get two utes in that one. I am a grits guy, actually. I and I can do sweet or savory grits. Honestly, are you a grits guy? Uh, on occasion, I will never make them, just because it just. Uh, growing up, we never did them at home, but you know, I've, I'm a big fan of uh, kind of the alternative order at a nice restaurant. Maybe the shrimp and grits. Little, uh, I think that's a East Coast, Deep South uh, cuisine. But yeah, grits are grits are good. I always like them when I have them. 
Yeah, so we recently, not not so recently, a couple months ago, we did, it was one of those uh, those home meal delivery kits. I'm No free ads, I'm not going to name which one, but they did, it was a shrimp and like shrimp and tre- cheddar grits, and it was fantastic. And then I've, I've replicated it myself, and it's, it's really good. And then I'll also, every now and then, because we've just got a box of big ass, like a big ass box of grits, because they, grits apparently last forever. And uh, I'll do like a like a sweet grits for breakfast sometime. Like put a little uh, put a little jam in them, and there it's a nice little weekend side. Um, but yeah, th- this is a big. This movie is like peak season for grits. This is probably the the biggest moment in cinema history for grits, if I am if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite scenes, and I hope I'm not scooping you on this, but the uh, the diner scene when they actually try grits for the first time and they're just oh, yeah. utter dis they're utter disgust and like you know what what the hell is this like uh it, the reason i had never tried grits growing up my mom is from the northeast she is from new york and uh she's also italian and grits were never even mentioned i didn't know what a grit was until i saw this movie and i don't i don't think i still don't really know what it is it's corn right Whatever. Yeah, it's it's corn. This uh, I, I believe in the in the diner scene you're referencing the beginning. The uh, the chef, the guy behind the counter, says them hominy grits, and I believe that is a, a type of corn. But I love the I love that diner scene. Just the menu being breakfast, lunch, dinner. Dude, that menu is money. I mean, you have to know. Like, I was gonna ask you this: the food at that diner is probably good as shit. It's probably gonna clog your arteries, but it's probably really good. That that breakfast he whipped up looked fantastic. Um, you know that they had a chicken fried steak on that menu that was just bomb, uh, and the and the prices were just so perfect. Yeah, I would love to eat at that diner. Sign sign me up. Um, the uh, that that first day of trial, the it also has um, it ends with Vinny getting some sleep in prison, which is which is really great because Vinny's been struggling to get that sleep the whole time and. And uh, he finally gets in in the the loud, seemingly violent prison. Um, the last scene that I've got for best scene, and I I'm gonna spoil my pick. This is this is absolutely my winner. It's it's Mona Lisa Vito's testimony. It is simply one of the most iconic courtroom scenes ever. It's up there with a few good men, Kramer versus Kramer. You're literally you're just watching Tomei win an Oscar. It's kind of like. It's like Lob City. Pesci is just throwing it up and Tomei's flushing it. It's just, it is a perfect, <laughs> perfect scene in this movie. I find it hard to believe that this kind of information could be ascertained simply by looking at a picture. Would you like me to explain? I would love to hear this. So would I. The car that made these two equal length tire marks had positive traction. Can't make those marks without positive traction, which was not available on the 64 Buick Skylark. And why not? What is positive traction? It's a limited slip differential which distributes power equally to both the right and left tires. The 64 Skylark had a regular differential, which anyone who's been stuck in the mud in Alabama knows you step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. It is. It's it's so good. Their dynamic is so good. When Joe, or I guess Vinny, props, him, uh, props himself up on the uh, on the table, just kind of letting her go, and just his reactions to her as she's just 
you know, spitting knowledge. It's it's so great. I love when she gets she talks about getting stuck in the mud in Alabama. It's a very it's a great callback. And then Vinny is on fire. Like it's it's Vinny's a confident guy for for a majority of the movie. Vinny is not a guy who's hurting for for any sort of self self confidence, but he's just on fire. He's raining threes. He calls the sheriff to the stand right away, or he calls the. Uh, the the other witness to get him to contradict a statement or whatever you know basically he calls the sheriff in uh it is it is a perfect perfect scene it's something that like if if the movie is on tv and we're within an hour of mona lisa vito's testimony i'm probably locking in i'm probably breaking plans i'm probably making sure that i am i'm around my tv it is that good i will wait out that hour with the commercials Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you, you didn't, uh, I'm glad you didn't gloss over the, uh, when he calls George Wilbur, I think the expert witness back up there. Um, because that is so, that's just such a great part of it really drives it home. Also fun fact, he was Carrie's dad in Homeland and also the, uh, Jesus Fokker guy from meet the parents. Oh God. Was that him? Yeah. He is is only uh, a game. It's only a game Fokker. (laughs) He is, uh, he's in Head of State as well, which is the movie where Chris Rock becomes, I, I guess, spoiler alert, the first black president. And it is, uh, that I'm very fond of that movie. Uh, starting from the beginning where Nate Dogg is singing over the opening credits. I just, I really enjoy that movie, really enjoy the, the work of Chris Rock and that guy, uh, that guy is in it. Dave, if you had to pick a best scene in this movie, uh, what what's the pick for you? I feel like in this okay. one it's pretty obvious. Well, let me tell you this. I've got I'm going to give you two and I'm going to pick one. Two favorite okay. scenes. My first one is when he is cross-examining Sam Tipton. Uh the uh like you mentioned the grit scene. The grit scene. When, yeah, love the grit scene. That's when you realize like, "Oh, okay, he's got a little bit of sauce too." Okay, I see Vinny. He's he's not completely worthless. But my favorite scene is when he is in the pool hall to go uh, get the money, the two hundred dollars from JT, who scam, who refused to pay Mona Lisa uh, in a game of pool after losing to her. Uh, when he goes in there and he's just like outclassing this guy in a back and forth, while every while the entire pool hall laughs at him, that might be my favorite scene. You and Lisa played a game of pool for two hundred dollars, which she won. I'm here to collect. How about if I just kick your ass? Oh, a counteroffer. That's what we lawyers, I'm a lawyer, we lawyers call that a counteroffer. Let me see. This is a tough decision you give me here. Get my ass kicked to collect $200. Hmm. What do you think? I could use a good ass kick, and I'll be very honest with you. Mm. Nah, I think I'll just go with the 200 <laughs> <laughs> over my dead body you like to renegotiate as you go along huh okay then here's my counter offer do i have to kill you what if i was just to kick the ever-loving shit out of you that is a deep cut favorite scene because that's not something that gets brought up a lot with my cousin Vinny. because the, the the jt stuff is great that running gag i think you i think you run into him three times I think there's that one, the time where he comes back, says he has the money, doesn't have all of the money. Then he comes back with all the money and Vinny just, Joe Pesci just drops his ass. Dude, that's one of the funnier, funnier, like uh, 
cinema fights you'll ever see. It's just like the weirdest. He doesn't even punch him. He just does like a perpendicular body splash. Like Joe I don't even Pesci know what that move stands, is. Pesci who stands at like five four. We have a a listener question on that one here in a bit. Uh, my favorite scene is is the Mona Lisa testimony. It, it's it's legitimately one of my favorite scenes ever in movies. I cannot get enough. It it is a it's so much so that I will watch that scene on YouTube sometimes if I just need to feel happy. It's it's great, dude. It's perfect. It probably won her. I mean, it definitely won her the Academy Award, right? Yeah. The thing is, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, you think of that. You think of her like they're like, you, you think of her winning the Oscar. and You're like, oh, it's because of that scene. And that's right. That's like that slam dunk gets her it. But she's on fire the whole movie, which we're we're going to get into. A lot of people think that they gave it to her also just because of the fire fits she was getting off. She was getting off. I, I would love, we need to talk to uh, another WASH podcaster, Barrett Dudley, about uh, about the fits that Mona Lisa's rocking. Dave, let's take a, a quick ad break and then we'll get back with best quote. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by DealDash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you never believe. You you need this in 2020. You need it. You need a win. Honestly, we all need a win. Uh, they have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Uh, here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0, only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone has 10 seconds to answer the item is yours. This is a chance to get something, scoop something at a massive discount. If you go ahead and sign up now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code BIGSCREEN or DealDash.FM slash BIGSCREEN. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash BIGSCREEN. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by our old friends at BetOnline.ag. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. For me, guys, that means the Minnesota Twins, who, on the day of recording this, kicked absolute ass against the White Sox today. It was great. I wish I had bet on it with BetOnline.ag, but I did not get my play in in time. But uh, no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partner, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, features, and prop bets to bet on available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory, uh, famous for playing for those Spurs. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they are calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, we're back. Uh, Best quote for this one. For for comedy movies, it's tough to separate, like, an actual really good quote with just, like, a funny joke. I don't like just straight-up repeating funny jokes is there is there something that stands out for you as the best quote from this movie something that you think of when you think my cousin Vinny? is there a certain line that stands out for you oh wow this is tough um so when he is uh when he has the older woman with the glasses uh constance on the stand and he is, you know, questioning the validity of her eyesight. 
and he backpedals with the tape measure, goes all the way to the back of the courtroom, and he asks how many fingers I'm holding up, and Judge Chamberlain goes, let the record, he goes, let the record show that he is holding up two fingers, you know? Uh, <laughs> when Joe Pesci goes, you know, when when he realizes what he's done, and then and then Vinny, Vinny uh, says it again, and he's like, and he's he's adamant that only she answer him, and they kind of show Judge Chamberlain, and it's just it's very subtle, but it's just kind of it's funny because you know he's really pushing it, he's already on thin ice with this judge, and the judge just kind of knows he fucked up. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was a pretty pretty underrated scene, and and that kind of you know that further turns the tide in the defense's case. How many fingers am I holding up? Let the record show that counsel is holding up two fingers. Yana, please, huh? Oh. Sorry. Now, Mrs. Riley, and only Mrs. Riley, how many fingers am I holding up now? Yeah, it's when Vinny's still rolling with that confidence. It's another one of those those confidence quips. Uh, the I had a couple kind of written down. Two Utes. I don't know if that's like uh, the the two Utes. I don't know if that's a like a best quote. It just felt weird not to not to write it down, not to include. You got to mention it. Yeah, um, Vinny's his his opening statement uh, where he goes, uh, "Everything that guy just said is bullshit." Thank you, <laughs> Dave. If, if you were in law school, how would that how would that go over if you suggested that be an opening statement? Oh man, it's uh, that's tough, dude. I I, I feel like that's going to get you uh, in a little bit of hot water with the with the judge. It's that violates local rules there. Yeah, yeah. the The last thing I had written down for quote was, and it, it's a Mona Lisa Vito quote from my favorite scene when she she says, I, "I'm going to do the impression because I'm probably just going to uh, going to add in the audio over my voice." When she says, "No." The defense is wrong. And wrong has like eight vowels in it. And uh, and Vita and Vinny, who knows that, knows what, you know, she's finally picking up what Vinny's putting down. He's like, are you sure? And then she's she's picking it up and she says, I'm positive. That's that's my favorite little exchange because that's the callback to when they're talking about the law books back at whatever shitty motel they're staying at. Um, that's great. I just thought a of good one, one more. Oh, hit me with it. It's from the great Lane Smith. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be telling us what or else, where else we know him from. Uh, Jim Trotter, the DA, when he just hits the jury with a identical. That is, I've quoted that so many times. We walk around the house here in the rough household quoting it, just saying identical to each other. I love it. He's such a, he's perfect for that role too, man. He, he's great. He, there's so many... The casting in this is perfect, even though it's not a ton of huge names. Uh, the the ones that they got, like there's not a weak link in the in the mix. Everyone eats up their their scenes really well. There's not a single there's not a single tough performance. And you'll a lot of it. The casting is good because it's a lot of those kind of bit players. Like you see you see a lot of the cast pop up and other stuff like you rarely see like there's never been a movie that's like oh this is a lane smith vehicle like at least in you know the the last you know couple decades of his his career same with bruce mcgill who plays sheriff farley like he's fucking good in everything but there's never been a movie that like i'm going to see this movie because of bruce mcgill it's just if he's in it he ups the movie but as far as quotes go oh go ahead 
This this movie has shades of the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, their NBA champions, uh, one and six over the Miami Heat. You've got uh, just guys playing their role, and you got so you got a star, you got Dirk, you got Joe Pesci, but you got Marissa Tomei who's right there with them. Uh, maybe the J Kid or the Jason Terry, one A, one B. You know your second option, and you got Sean Marion, and that's as far as the sports analogy is going to go. I, was, I had saying, to ask, though, who's Tyson Chandler? Who's crashing the boards in this movie? Dude, it's Judge Chamberlain all day. <laughs> this, well, he's he's a tall dude, too, especially He's also especially like 6'8". Yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he is, uh, he was Herman Munster, that guy, Fred Gwynn. So yeah. he's literally like the Tyson Chandler of old 60s sitcoms. Uh, Dave, do you have a best quote in this one? Can you nail down your your favorite line from this one? Oh man, I kind of I kind of blew it on the identical thing because I have to say that entire that entire scene is is one of my favorites. Also, um, I think that's a very good like. I think that kind of sums up this movie really well, though, and that like your favorite line is is more of a quip or it's more of just something you can repeat because that's a lot of what this movie is. This movie is you know, funny, funny, random lines. Like even the one he says to, uh, to, to, uh, to stand in prison when he's like, it's a simple in and out procedure. It's just stuff like that. It's never, this isn't for a law movie. It is not monologue there. And there's no, you can't handle the truth or something intense like that. Right. It's just like funny quips that you can just use in, in day-to-day life to be funny. I, I enjoyed when he, uh, he thinks he's getting busted by the judge uh, you know, for the second time for, for not being a, you know, a practicing attorney in New York or whatever. And he's like, wait, did you say Joey, did you say Joey Gallo? He goes, it's Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo's dead. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that. I love that interaction. Cause like, obviously me as a noted Ranger fan, you've got Joey Gallo, the future of the franchise. And I always think of that scene whenever he's up there just hitting dingers. Dave, let it be known that I believe that uh, I believe that Vinny says Jerry Gallo and Jerry then it's Gallo. Jerry Callow, but within the same three minute period, you have mentioned uh, the Mavs 2011 title team and and Joey Gallo. So we are a Dallas Cowboys reference away from the DM DFW trifecta. Well, let me so tell we, you this and why <laughs> why I made that error, which I do regret for the record. Uh, Joe Gallo was an actual uh, New York City mobster. They they called him Crazy Joe. This is true. He was from the Colombo crime family, and he did die. He died in the seventies. But there's a lot of stuff on him. So I think that the Gallo name might be, uh, you know, his last name in the movie Vinny Gambini. You've got the Gambino crime family. Uh, you got Jerry Gallo, Joe Gallo. There's some nods to the mob in this. There's the, somebody whoever did these names in the in the writing. They knew what they were doing. Vinny Gambini is just the perfect, like, kind of sleazy, street smart New York lawyer name. And speaking of law, uh, let's get into the most authentic, least authentic aspects of this film. It's not, it is, um, you know, it's not as easy to pick out something that's super authentic in a non-sports movie, because like a non-sports movie, you can tell if someone, you know, knows how to throw a baseball or not. But Dave, this is, this is where I need you. This is where you need to be my Dirk. What is the most authentic part of this movie especially when it comes to law probably the scathing rebuke of our current criminal justice system um and how the deck is often 
stacked against defendants, especially those without the financial capabilities to uh, obtain counsel. And maybe they have to go to the public defender who, you know, there's a lot of great attorneys in public defender's offices, but they're overworked, often understaffed, underpaid. So, uh, you know, on like a meta level, it's that. And, you know, he's relying on his, uh, uh, you know, a family member to come down and save him. But like, what happens if that doesn't ha- what if what if he's stuck with the PD? What if they're stuck with the the, the public defender? And a, a guy who, you know, he goes up there and bombs. Like then you got two innocent guys in jail probably facing the uh the electric chair, the often re- uh referenced electric chair in this movie. So I, I hate to get meta on you Kyle, but I had to. Well, and in, in 99% of the time, uh getting your cousin Vinny to represent you doesn't work out. <laughs> this it, it, in reality this it doesn't work out. It's it's not going to go well for for Bill and Stan. Um what I had what was authentic to me, I didn't I couldn't pick out any law authenticity. I did uh I did not go to law school. I majored in uh I majored in marketing. I didn't really learn anything. Um, but the, the most authentic thing to me was just the, the fish out of waterness of a New Yorker being dropped into the South. And a lot of, it wasn't, it wasn't a lampooning as much as something like Talladega Nights is, which I covered recently. It is more, it was more just like Vinny just roughed like he, he ran up against some Southern customs that are fairly familiar if you've grown up in the South and just stuff that Vinny would have no idea about. Um, you know, stuff like the food, like grits or how a deeply Southern judge keeps his court, that sort of thing. I, I found that very, very... The, the, movie, the movie did the fish out of water thing very authentically without being a, a souped up lampoon like a Talladega Nights. Stuck in the mud. Stuck in the mud, the Alabama mud. Yeah, that I think you're right about that. Because um, yeah, it, there's there's times where I, I, you know in the past I've thought like, oh man, this is just making Southerners look like morons. But if you really watch it objectively, it's like, you know, it's it, it's kind of more about them, uh, kind of learning the custom and using it to their advantage. Um, and, and, you know, for, for what it's worth, like Vinny looked like a moron a lot in this movie too. So it Absolutely. wasn't like he just came down and dominated, but yeah. Uh, you know, one other thing that's pretty authentic from a legal standpoint, uh, at one point, Mona Lisa, she says something, uh, she responds to him like, didn't they teach you that in law school? And he's like, no, they teach you contracts in law school and they don't teach you how to practice law. And that's absolutely true. Um, the majority of law school is, is theory. Like he says, theory and interpretation. Uh, it's not courtroom behavior and just how to, you know, get somebody, you know, build a case, build an argument. So that, that was dead on. The, the thing you mentioned about them, like they don't make the, the Southern people kind of look like idiots in clumsier writing hands, they they probably would make this movie like that, like have, you know, the case be really stupid and have Bill and Stan actually getting railroaded. But like to the sheriff's credit and the town's credit and the prosecutor's credit, it was a a very strange coincidence, coincidence that two guys with similar a similar vehicle, similar description murdered that clerk, you know, a minute or two after they did. It is very much a. uh 
an easily mistaken identity. Like you can very much see where they would have been the guys. They are very lucky that, uh, that Vinny was able to figure that out because they, they should have really been pegged for murder. The least authentic thing that I'm going to, I'm going to jump you on this is that, uh, kind of like what I said, hiring your cousin Vinny would not work out like that. Your, your cousin Vinny who'd failed the bar six times, hadn't worked in a law office. I think, uh, Stan and Bill fry and fry really quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably I I'm laughing, uh, you know, but it's funny cause it's true. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, you know, uh, for me, least authentic, I, I would say kind of how Vinny, <laughs> Vinny is utterly unfamiliar with the discovery process. Uh, and you know, seeing, uh, seeing the DA's files and his witness list and whatnot, like, you know, he thought that he was pulling one over on him by getting it. Like he finagled the guy. Uh, it's like, no, I mean, that's, that's one thing you know about, like, even if you don't do trial law, you're familiar with like, you get to see what the other side has. Like, that's just basic stuff. I mean, Mona Lisa knows that. Yeah. Mona Lisa knew she, she's the real, she's the alpha in this. She really, that's a good take. Mona Lisa is really the alpha. Um, Dave, would they have tried both of them together? They would have separate trials, would they not? Yeah, I believe so, because they're tried for different things. Um, so you're going to have to put on two different cases. So, yeah, I don't, I'm going to be honest. I was never really a criminal attorney, but, um, I believe that that would be the case. And I'm certainly not familiar with Alabama law, but, um, yeah, I think that would be very unlikely because they were charging Stan with, uh, you know, being an accessory and obviously, uh, what's his name? Jimmy with, uh, murder. Uh, that'd be Bill. I don't know where you got Jimmy from. Jimmy? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a gangster name. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, no, that'd be like, uh, if they charged Cato Kalen along with OJ, like if they were on the same, in the same courtroom, uh, we have a, for the last thing for least authentic, we have a listener question from Ryan Yeager in the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. Uh, and it's kind of something we touched on earlier. Would Vinny really be able to knock that guy out with one punch? He was giving up like two feet to that guy. I I, I asked that to you, Dave. He didn't even punch him. Dude, I think what happened was he knocked him down. I think that JT hit his head on the concrete, which is very dangerous. And I think that's what happened because it... <laughs> It wasn't a punch. It was just like this body splash move that you really only see in like early 90s WWF. He threw himself at him like he was a fucking salmon jumping out of water. It's like slapping I mean, that, his body against him. Have you ever seen that video of the dude on the paddleboard and the dolphin, the school of dolphin like swim up <laughs> yeah. like and, they yes. just, and one just jumps up and smokes him? It's that. <laughs> and shout out to the guy who played JT. That guy is Chris Ellis who has... Great bit parts in That Thing You Do, which I've covered on this podcast, and also Catch Me If You Can. He's another another one of these uh, great bit guys. But let's roll into what worked about this one, what was enjoyable, what was realistic, what just made this one into a Hall of Fame movie. Um, right off the bat, it is Pesci and Tomei at a Hall of Fame level. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, they have chemistry. Even though Joe Pesci is not in her league, it still works. It's still believable that they would end up together, right? Because he's got the little man confidence. He's got the personality and he's got the charisma. So yeah, dude, it's their back and forth that make this movie. 
like you should be grossed out by the age gap and you're not. So when this movie was released, Pesci was 49, Marissa Tomei was 27. And the scene where they're they're at like the cabin and she's going on and on about her biological clock. She mentions that they agreed to get married as soon as he won his first case. And it's been 10 years since that. How old do you think they're supposed to be? Like what... What makes you sit well? Because like the chemistry, again, you don't really think about it that they shouldn't be together because they they match up really good. I mean, it's okay. the chemistry is killer. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think the ages should actually be for you to sleep well at night after watching this one? Okay, well let me let me just say this or let me think about it. So Joe Pesci sat for the bar six times before he passed. Um, I should say Vinny sat for the bar. So you have to, you know, law school is generally a three-year deal. Went to under, so he did undergrad till he was, let's say, twenty-two. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Did law school till he's twenty-five. They offer the bar. I don't know about New York, but in Texas, it's probably the same. Twice a year is when it's offered. So at least three years of not passing the bar. So I mean, he's he should be around thirty, and I'll I will even say just I would believe. 39 because everybody in the 90s kind of looks way shittier uh and marissa <laughs> tomei i mean she I, it's hard to tell man we did like I, I think that she what did you say she was actually 27 in this mona she, lisa she was 27 you could have told me mona lisa was 25 you could have told me she was 32 and i would have believed it yeah see i think i think Vinny is about like for the sake of this movie i think Vinny's 40 just a guy who has an age great probably smoked a ton of cigarettes in the 70s and the 80s um you know guys live pretty pretty hard little fast and loose uh and then mona lisa she's like like you said she's 32 she's just aging like a fine wine when she's 40 she's still gonna look great you know why because however old marissa tomei is she looks fantastic she is a first ballot hall of famer um, but you, you again, you, you don't really think about it at all in the movie. You're like, yeah, they're together. The chemistry works perfect. Like it's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, the, the movie does a really good job of making you care enough about Bill and Stan because Pesci and Tomei don't show up. Vinny and Mona Lisa don't show up until like 10 minutes into the movie. So it like, it does this really good job of making you care about Bill and Stan. And then it's like, okay. They're in jail. They're on trial. Now it's it. Let's let Pesci and Tomei drive this one out. Yeah, um, it's pretty remarkable. And like I'm, I'm like looking. I'm looking at the cast list as we do this, and I'm like, dude, there's so many good performances in this. And like his dynamic with uh, with the DA Jim Trotter, who, let's be honest, like there's not really a straight up bad guy in this movie because like there's nobody that you're you're rooting obviously against the state. And it's sometimes the judge, but like, even like Jim Trotter, you know, he was over the top and he was kind of corny to the jury, but like, he was kind of likable. He was just doing his job. Like he wasn't overly bad. Um, and then his back and forth with Vinny was, was so good. And you don't, you don't blame him for, for trying to prosecute the case because it, I mean, it all adds up when you think about who actually did it, it is. I mean, again, what are, you know, what are the chances? Uh, it's it's completely <laughs> conceivable why they would try to pursue a case against these two. Like, it's, it makes all the sense. They probably thought this would be a open and shut deal. And, you know, it almost was. 
Yeah. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Schroeder. You mentioned you know everyone everyone who gets a shot in this in this movie like get gets some speaking lines just shines. All four witness interactions plus Mona Lisa's are just excellent. Uh, the Grits guy is played by uh, Maury Chaikin. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. He is well known for his entourage cameo as Harvey Weingard, who was inspired by the notoriously now currently imprisoned Harvey Weinstein. But he's great as the Grits guy. Um, same with um, the the guy who is the uh, Ernie Crane, who is the guy with the, the gunked up windows. Uh, he's played by Rainer Sheen. Rainer Sheen is also in The Rookie, which I had your co-host Dylan Shivery on to uh, to cover. He's another bit player who who you know does what he can do. Uh, Bruce McGill is Sheriff Farley, like I talked about. He's good in everything. Um, he you know he's he's good in that scene where he's interrogating Bill at first, and he you know he, and then you then you shot the clerk, and then Ralph Macchio is just with the I shot the clerk, I shot the clerk. It's uh, it's an excellent excellent scene. Yeah, do you know where Trotter, what else Trotter was in? Trotter was in a uh, a movie that you and I covered on this podcast. Okay, I, I'm glad, you, okay. Just making sure you recognize the hawk when you saw him. You, you didn't think I would, you didn't think I would let Clo- Coach Riley slip out of my, slip out of my uh, my sights, the, uh, the coach from the Mighty Ducks. He is much, the funny thing is he's trying to prosecute two likable characters for, for a murder they didn't commit in this movie. And he's much more likable than he is in the Mighty Ducks. Oh, 100%. And he's got to be the guy who's most confused for Tommy Lee Jones in Hollywood. A hundred percent. This movie, the courtroom scenes of this movie, just another shout out to Fred Gwynn as Judge Chamberlain. Uh, he is like the, the, the tall, he's the perfect commanding figure as the judge with that deep baritone voice. He just... He carves a very strong figure. It's just a perfect casting. It's just perfect casting all around in this movie. And it's kind of like a an obvious thing to say for really good movies, but really good movies are, you know, you cast them perfectly. And th- this one, this one does that. This one is also aged really well, which you think like comedy from 1992, you don't really expect that. And it is actually like pretty there's not really a whole lot to write home about if you're in like the 2020 cancel culture crowd. No, I I really can't think of anything. Maybe the uh, maybe the prison scene, the op- you know uh, that we referenced earlier, you know. Maybe, but it's it's really it's just a tasteful comedy, man. It's very well done, and I gotta say, more on the judge. You know how I describe him as tough but fair, Kyle. Tough but fair. <laughs> tough but fair. Is that the mark of a good judge? That's the mark of a good judge, man. You're like, oh, is this guy going to be the bad guy? You're like, he's not. He's just by the book, dude. He's old school. I think one of the best parts about this movie is that you just don't think at any time that they're not getting off. You feel very relaxed in that sense. It's more of a an adventure of how Vinny is going to somehow win this case versus like, oh, Bill and Stan might go to the electric chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I... We haven't even re- mentioned really Billy, uh, the great Ralph Macchio. Well, so let's, but, in that case, let's kind of go into what didn't work because there's not a lot for this movie, but um, it's tough sledding for uh, for Macchio and, and, and Whitfield. Is it Macchio or Macchio? Because when I okay. did uh, 
when I did Karate Kid, I pronounced it the wrong way for the first half of the movie, and now I can't remember how that was. Here's the deal, and this, I believe I'm right about this, even though I, I haven't spoke Italian since college. It's technically Macchio, but I believe in American pop culture, he's Ralph Macchio. That's how you'll hear it, but the, the C-H-I, or just the C-H, is more of a key instead of a chi. I could be wrong about that. Feel free at D Carter Ruff on Twitter and Snap to tell me I'm wrong. But that's the kind of expertise we need in this pod. We need the the Italian language expertise. But as far as as Machio, especially Machio, like Mitchell Whitfield, who plays Stan Rothstein, I think he is great in this movie. Or Stan Rothenstein. I think he's great in this movie. He never really like this is his moment. Um, you know, he's he's best known for this and friends appearances as Dr. Barry Farber. He is the uh I believe that is who Jennifer Aniston, who Rachel runs out on in the first episode of Friends. But Machio is an 80s icon. And then after this has a a long drought for really like anything good. And I think a lot of that, and this is something that I can really empathize with. He's 31 when this movie comes out. He does not look his age, not even close. I am right in that ballpark. Um, and I think for a long time, it was really tough for him to get roles. Uh, yeah. yeah and I, didn't they do a Karate Kid reboot recently? I so that's I don't even where, know if he was a part of that. Yeah, so he, um, he goes on this long drought. I mean, he still, he still works kind of consistently, but nothing's, you know, nothing's great. He is in Beer League, which came out in 2006 with Artie Lang. It's got a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. Beer League has 100% in my heart. I love Beer League so deeply. It is a, a movie about a slow-pitch softball league. It is fucking, I love anything with Artie Lang. It's fuck, Dave, you would love Beer League. It's got a lot have of names in it. Have you done it on here? I have not done it on here. If you if you want to go watch Beer League tomorrow, we can record a pod on this. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how to do your podcast, but dude, I got, got it. I didn't even I don't even know about this movie and it's got Freaking Ralph Macchio and Artie Lang. Man, so Beer League is, like, I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but Big League, like, Big League, or Beer League is obviously a movie that the critics are going to hate, but it is, like, it is really good. It's got some names in it. Uh, it's got Joe Latrulio, who is, um, you might know him as the guy, I think he's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but he's the guy in Superbad who hits Jonah Hill with his car. Oh, Okay. It's okay. got it's it's got some random some random folks in it that you'll that you'll recognize. Um and it's uh it's it's written it's co-written by Artie Lang, but anyways, uh Machio gets in that. That's not successful to anyone but me. So like for me in 2006 Ralph Machio's back for everyone else he's he's still not. But then they have rebooted Karate Kid Cobra Kai and apparently I've not right. seen it. Apparently, like they did the first two seasons on YouTube, and I think like Netflix or Hulu or something has bought the the third one. But apparently, Cobra Kai is excellent. So I guess Ralph Macchio is is finally back. But just tying that all into what didn't work about this movie, it is it's kind of sad to see that this is like Ralph Macchio's last big moment for a long time, dude. And he's barely he barely has any speaking parts. He's in the background for ninety percent of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, they they make us care about Bill and Stan. They kind of give him something to cook with in the beginning of the movie. And then it's like, okay, you got to, you know, Marissa and, and Joe Pesci are here. They're going to drive. You guys are just going to sit there. You're going to get a little 
the occasional quip in, but by the end of the movie, you've almost forgotten about him. Yeah, he's he's more of a game manager, you know. He's got you know he he dishes it off to Pesci and Tomei, kind of like you know some you know early Dak when he was just leaning on Zeke. Um, We've hit you know, it, whoever folks. That Zeke to ring be. the ring the DFW bell. We have hit all the uh, we've hit the big three in DFW sports. Yeah, I mean this sports analogy doesn't really go much further than that, but um, that's that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> as far as what else didn't work, uh, I, I don't know if this doesn't work, but Dave, I've just got to ask you: uh, if someone takes six times to pass the bar, how do you how do you size that person up with their law capability? Uh, here's I, I think I know in Texas you're limited. I don't know if you can take it six times. I feel like they give you like four. Or maybe five, and then you're done. But honestly, if I knew somebody took a long time to pass it, it does not, it does not mean they would not be a good attorney. Because there are so many people who end up being the best attorneys, the most successful, that were terrible in law school. Uh, and yeah, maybe they barely pass the bar, and they get by and become successful because of their personality, their charisma, not because they're the smartest, but because they're convincing. So, and that's exactly what Vinny was. Vinny wasn't, you know, he was street smart, like we've said, but he's, he gets, you know, he, he's a rule bender. He finds, he finds the, the loopholes you can tell. So you can't, you can't sleep on those guys and girls who, who take a, you know, one or two times or six to pass. So what's the future look like for Vinny then, you think? Because when he gets back to New York, I don't think he's going to get any murder cases based on, like, this, this isn't, it wouldn't be on social media that he just won this murder case. What What is Vinny's, like, what does the rest of his career kind of look like? So word's going to, here's how this goes down. Word's going to get out around his, whatever borough in New York City he lives in. I don't even know how it's, you know, wherever he's from. The Bronx, um... It's going to get out that he, you know, he went down there, went to Alabama, foreign turf, went to the deep south and saved two guys from the electric chair, basically. And word's going to get around to these mobsters, these, you know, these low level street street guys. And he is going to have a pretty nice book of business. He said he was doing personal injury before. Personal injury is one of those things where you only need to hit on one. You know, you get one... uh, Say it's a five million dollar settlement. Well, if you're doing like a twenty percent commission or whatever it is, or uh, whatever I don't know what the fees are in New York, then you're sitting pretty. So I think his rep is going to get it uh, a huge boost from this. And also, dude, his confidence, which was already through the roof, is got to be on another level. So he's just going to walk into whatever courtroom and own it. Vinny would make a great mob lawyer. Absolutely, you'd love to see him in that role. Uh, did you have anything? Consigliere. To- <laughs> Did you have anything that didn't work about this one? I've only got a couple nitpicky things, but it's a pretty perfect movie. Okay. The one thing that I wanted, and I wonder if there's like a director's cut where this is, is the hunting scene. He goes hunting with the trotter and they never really show it. They just show him in the truck and they show them staying at the hunter's cabin, but they go hunting, right? And they don't get a deer. But like I have to think that they sh- they had that shoot and like there was some funny, uh, you know, Vinny Vinny you know walking around in hunting gear or like whatever his pleated his pleated slacks holding a you know a, a a deer rifle. Like I feel like there was some gold there. This movie is two hours on the dot. I would absolutely be willing to see a two and a half hour director's cut. 
I, I just want to see what's on the reel. I just want to see the extra yes, stuff. Absolutely. I, I would pay, I, I would pay, especially in quarantine, like in, in, in COVID season, I would pay a significant amount of money to see that actually. Like I've paid, I had to pay $25 for fucking Scoob. So I would, I would drop <laughs> at least twice that for a director's, director's cut of my cousin Vinny. Now, the only, the two, you know, the two things I, I had, um, kind of like the same thing with them being tried together. I feel like murder suspects don't get to room together in the slammer. I feel like they probably would have split that up. Wouldn't have wanted them chatting, chatting each other up. And then, uh, the sheriff runs the report on that Pontiac in very little time, especially for 1992. Agree. I, I was kind of wondering that myself. His secretary has to be a fucking stud. Honestly, she's pretty, she is working that fax like a hall of famer. Yeah, and I feel like even though it was 1992, they would have got, he would have gotten busted. I mean, like, it's just a phone call away to find out that this guy isn't who he says he is. Like, and I know there was some back and forth on that, and he switched the name up from Gallo to Callo, but I, I feel like he finagled his way in that one, and, and that wouldn't really go down like that. Yeah, for as fast as the sheriff got the Pontiac records and the, the word of the, the two murderers being arrested, the, the exact opposite with Judge Chamberlain getting Vinny's records. Um, Dave, the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for Best and Worst On-Screen Job Depiction. Um, I mean, you've we were basically given Trotter as a prosecutor, Vinny as a lawyer, um, and then Judge, is, Judge Chamberlain as a judge. Uh, who, who is the best... What's the best on-screen job? Who's the best at their job? It's Judge Chamberlain for me, honestly. He didn't have to do a lot, but like that—that that is a small town. That is a small town judge who is all about decorum and uh, procedure. Just a stickler. He—he uh, he nailed it. Like there, there are some things that Vinny gets, like you know, he nails. Um, but like a lot of that stuff, like no, nobody, no matter if they took six times to pass the bar or not, like is going to try that in a courtroom on that note. Cause I don't want to disparage, uh, Pesci or, uh, or Trotter with, with a, a worst on-screen job depiction award. Cause I think they're both, they both seem pretty good. Let's go into the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. Here are my nominees. It's a pretty stacked field. Uh, Fred Gwynn is Judge, Ch- Judge Chamberlain, like you just said. He's great. Lane Smith is Jim Trotter, the uh, the DA, a.k.a. Coach Riley in the Mighty Ducks. Bruce McGill is Sheriff Riley. He is just a fantastic character. I, I enjoy Bruce McGill in absolutely everything. He's D-Day in Animal House. He's Walter Hagen in Bagger Vance, which is a movie that's a little problematic and just not good, but I, I still really like it, and I don't know why. Dude, he is D-Day. I did He's not make D-Day. that connection. He's D-Day. Oh, my goodness. He's also in one of the best underseen baseball movies of all time, 61. Have you seen 61, Dave? I'm sorry to let you down. I have not. It's an HBO movie. It it stars uh, Barry Pepper, Thomas Jane as Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle about the uh, the home run chase in 1961. And and he's in that as the Yankees manager. He's great. Um, Mitchell Whitfield is Stan Rothstein at Rothenstein. He is, he's legitimately funny in this one. He is, uh, he's very good. He holds his own around Joe Pesci, especially in that prison scene. He just shame the guy didn't get more work. And then, um, Marissa Tomei is Mona Lisa Vito. One of my favorite movie performances of all time. If you had to pick one, Dave, what's your pick? 
Man, it's got to be Mona Lisa. I mean, it's I would be, be. I would be. I would be lying if I said it was anybody else. Like I love Jim Trotter. I love Lane Smith's depiction of Jim Trotter. It was. It's right there. But for me, she won an Oscar for this for a reason. She's so good. She ends up being like the key to the entire case. It's it's great. She her performance is bravo. She's great in the wrestler. All the other stuff she's in. She's like fifty five. She looks thirty eight. Just shout out to Mona Lisa. Shout out to her. I mean, it's one of my favorite performances. She's like the last decade. She's like the last decade and change. I think the wrestler was 08. She's just really hit her stride. I think she was nominated for the wrestler. She's got another nomination under her belt too. Um, she's in the Lincoln lawyer, which is a like early beginning of the McConaissance movie. That's actually pretty good. Oh, Held yeah. up pretty well. Um, she's, she's got aunt, she's aunt May and Spider-Man. I'm sure that's a pretty handsome check. She's cashing. Uh, and then recently in the King of Staten Island, and she still looks great. She's still great on screen, but Mona Lisa Vito is just one of my favorite characters ever. It's it's a can perfect- I say, can I say something else that was authentic about this movie that has to do with Mona Lisa? Absolutely. So she was a hairdresser, an out of work hairdresser, but a hairdresser. She has that crazy little blonde or silver streak in her hair, and. I feel like every hairdresser like does just experiments on their hair or they experiment on each other's hair and they're, they're always like trying different colors and stuff. So that was like very accurate. And somehow that streak on her with her character and her attitude is one of the hottest things I've ever seen in my life. It, it makes no sense, but you're right. Absolutely. Dave, let's get into my favorite category, the big chill, which isn't, it isn't always there in a non-sports movie. I have one nominee for this one. It's Mona Lisa Vito's speech. You're just watching her win an Oscar. In the 60s, there were only two other cars made in America that had positive traction and independent rear suspension and enough power to make these marks. One was the Corvette, which could never be confused with the Buick Skylark. The other had the same body length, height, width, weight, wheelbase, and wheel track as the 64 Skylark, and that was the 1963 Pontiac Tempest. And because both cars were made by GM, were both cars available in metallic mint green paint? They were. Thank you, Ms. Vito. No more questions. You're watching her win the case, chew up the screen, Pesci just feeding her, and then that kind of rolls into your boy Trotter saying the state would like to dismiss all charges. Is there anything else in this movie that kind of hits that note for you? That's it, man. It's when she when she utters the word pause attraction, it's that. It's you know you know what's going down right there. It's game over. It's it's the thing that when the movie's on cable, you've got to see it or your day is ruined. Like there's nothing worse than having plans you can't break and my cousin Vinny's like 20 minutes away from getting to the scene and you have to leave <laughs> your house. It is it is emotionally devastating. Uh maybe honorable mention to when he, when Vinny, you know, tells the nice old lady she might need some thicker glasses, because you're like, oh, that's one of the first, you know, one of the first couple parts where you're like, oh, he's competent, he's got a shot here. Uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely that scene that we just mentioned. Absolutely, Dave. How would you improve this one, if at all? Give us the hunting scene. Give it to us. I want to see those guys in a deer stand. Someone's got that B-roll footage somewhere. Someone's got the director's cut. It's out there. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I want, I, I, I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious if that exists or not. I, I don't own this movie on DVD, so I can't go. I don't even know if that would be a thing. It's a uh, shame you didn't you didn't invest in the DVD because those are those are wise investments. Those have, have laser disc. Out very well. I was all in on laser disc, Kyle. Ah, you didn't get the HD movies when uh, <laughs> when, when Xbox 360 came out. The HD movies. Oh my God! Don't even bring it up. Incredible, incredible <laughs> shit. Final category: Before More Restore. Would you rather see a prequel, a sequel, or a remake, or none of the above for this movie? I'm in the none of the above camp. Don't touch it. Definitely not a sequel. Uh, prequel might be interesting. Get to see, get to see him uh, grinding his way through law school, um, or maybe while he's trying to pass the bar, all the odd jobs that he's doing to to stay afloat. Uh, maybe he's doing some like low level petty crimes or something. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but don't touch it. Yeah, don't touch it. And def- definitely, if you remake this, I will riot. The problem is you can't you can't do anything without Pesci as as Vinny Gambini. It's too iconic a character. And like Marissa Tomei is still like she could still rock it. I don't think the Joe Pesci we saw in The Irishman like it would be funny to see a little skit of him like doing you know, doing the Vinnie Gambini thing, but I don't think we need to see Marissa Tomei like being married to a very old, stiff Vinnie. Last bit of IMDb trivia, a sequel was discussed where Vinnie Gambini would be practicing in Britain. Unfortunately, Marissa Tomei dropped out of the project in subsequent attempts with another screenwriter to create a suitable story without her character went nowhere to the point where the proposed film was canceled. That would have been an interesting watch. That sounds so bad. Um, I can't, I get it's the, you know, taking him out of his comfort zone, putting him in a new culture. Uh, but it, it th- that is, that's be, I can't believe that's serious. You're, you're dead serious on that. You're I pulled, I mean, I pulled that off the, uh, the IMDB and like the, the bad thing is, you know, especially with how nineties movies worked, like especially 90 sequels, they would have pulled the same thing as Major League Two. It's like, all right, we're going to change one thing and then we're going to run it all back. We're going to run the same same playbook. It's going to work perfectly, folks. And then it just doesn't work perfectly. Didn't didn't they do the Bad News Bears, like go to Japan or something? Yeah. I from my So from my understanding, I've only seen the original Bad News Bears, but apparently the sequels like aren't terrible. There's something that I need to get on my radar, but like, you think about Major League Two, they basically did the exact same thing. And if you're doing that, unless you go super meta with it, like they did in 22 Jump Street, where they're very self-aware and like making jokes about how it's the same thing. Uh, I, I think it I think most of that stuff just falls flat on his ass. And even if you got Pesci and Tomei, I feel like it just would have been overkill. They wouldn't have been surrounded by as much greatness as they were in this one. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad that that sequel did not get made for all of their careers. That could have tanked Joe Pesci's career and, and Marissa Tomei's. Oh, I, it's shocking. And you know what else? There would have been no there would have been no need for any of the uh, other characters, the supporting characters, to be in this because they're in Britain. And I know I'm overthinking this, but I'm like this this would have been just devastating. This would have been so bad. It probably ruined my childhood. 
It would have been terrible. But luckily, Dave, we were spared. We only have my cousin Vinny in our lives, and, and that's the way things need to be. Thank you so much for returning to Big Screen Sports, talking this movie with me. Uh, tell the folks again where they can find you, where they can catch out your podcast and your podcast network. Uh, yeah. Check us out. We're uh, Washed Media. You can uh, listen to more of me if you want to on the Circling Back podcast. Check out all of our podcasts. Club Cool featuring Barrett Dudley if you're into style and pop culture. Uh, so Many Screens, which we mentioned earlier with J.R. Hickey and Kate Patnod. And the Mail-In podcast with my uh, one of my co-hosts on uh, Circling Back, Dylan Shivery. And uh, oh yeah, don't forget Sunday Scaries with Will DeFreeze, my third co-host um, on Circling Back. That's a another great podcast. So check us out, check us out there. And man, this this was fun. I can't believe we went this long. I I feel like I I talk too much, man. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm the one who talks too much, Dave. It was it was a, a thrill to have you back on this podcast. Love talking to my cousin Vinny with you. We're gonna have to do Beer League very soon. Um, I'm literally going to text you a link about Beer League as soon as we get off this pod. But if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review. You, you folks know the drill. Uh, also, for any baseball fans, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. Uh, upcoming episode with former big league reliever Carter Caps. It's a really good one, really interesting conversation. Guy who went from being a redshirt catcher to division two school to a, a top draft prospect throws 100 mile an hour uh, don't miss that one but for now we will catch you next monday with big screen sports thanks for listening whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system yet then you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness deep relaxation purification and rejuvenation Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.